0: My Since I left, ain't too much change. i for the hands on the taking my time to perfect the beat, and I still got love for the streets. It's the beat. <laughs> How you doing, freedom lovers? I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report Direct Message. It's April 15th in the year of 2022. The video that you just saw, that cold open we just showed you, that was Elon Musk. You've heard of this guy. Uh, He was at the big opening event for Tesla in Austin, Texas. As you know, he took him out of Cali about a year or two ago amidst the lunacy of COVID craziness in California and the taxes and the big government and the regulation and all that stuff, he moved them to free Texas and they had this bananas event. If you haven't seen the video, don't stop watching this. Okay, obviously not, but there is video that you can find on the computer machine uh, where they had drones and a really just awesome show. And uh, I wanted to show you that because obviously we're gonna talk a bit about Elon Musk today. Uh, Most importantly though, today, ladies and gentlemen, is day two of the post woke world. This is a phrase that I have coined and I believe it is what is happening right now. The fight is on. It's not just about complaining and exposing anymore. That sounded kind of funny uh it's not just about that though it's about actually how do we defeat the woke and build new things that's exactly what elon musk is all about and that's what's happening in this twitter situation right now that's what i've been trying to do for quite some time and many others and the signal has been sent around the universe throughout the galaxy it is time to fight speaking of fighting People, although Facebook would not let us put ads up about it and Twitter would not let us put ads up about it, I am going on tour. That's right, it starts this Tuesday in West Palm Beach, with Donald Trump Jr., and then I'm off to Clearwater, Florida with Benny Johnson of Turning Point, Raleigh, North Carolina with Andrew Claven of The Daily Wire, Atlanta, Georgia with the Willy Wonka of politics, Michael Malice, Chicago, Illinois with the wonderful, majestic, freedom-loving Yanmi Park, Dallas, Texas with Glenn Beck of the blaze, Washington, D.C. with former VIEW host, I'm gonna have to ask her about that, uh, Megan McCain, West Nyack, New York with the lovely and extraordinary Uh, Megyn Kelly, Brea, California, with the one and only Dennis Prager. Uh, Oxnard, California, with my man, the black face of white supremacy, uh, Larry Elder. San Jose, California, with British conservative Douglas Murray. Phoenix, Arizona, with both the future senator of Arizona, Blake Masters, and Turning Point USA's own Charlie Kirk. And then finally, Denver, Colorado, with comedian extraordinaire, Brian Callen, you can get your tickets right now at DaveRubin.com slash events. And again, VIP tickets, you get the one second hug. Every single ticket, VIP or not, comes with a book. Okay, there you go. All right, so let's recap what's going on with this Elon Musk Twitter story. This is the story. And again, even if you're not on Twitter and God bless you for not being on there and keep doing what you're doing with your life. It's a huge story because Twitter is right in the center of the battle for free speech. It is the public square where whether you like it or not, the old days of the guy going to the town square and ringing a bell and demanding people listen to him are long gone. It is just the center of how we communicate with each other these days, even if it's just a small section of Americans from an American perspective who are on there, it's where all the politicians are. It's where all the tastemakers are. It's where all the culturally relevant people are. And so much of that leaks down into all of our lives. So it is what it is. So Elon Musk, as you know, he has now offered to buy Twitter at a crazy price, about $44 billion. Real quick, I'll show you the letter that he uh, sent to Brett Taylor, who's the chairman of the board. I read this yesterday, so I'll do it real quick. I invested in Twitter as I believe in its potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe, and I believe free speech is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy. However, since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve this societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. As a result, I'm offering to buy 100% of Twitter for $54.20 per share, a 54% premium over the day before I began investing in Twitter and a 38% premium over the day before my investment was publicly announced. My offer is my best and final offer, and if not accepted, I would need to reconsider my position as shareholder, Elon Musk. Okay. So what's the guy doing? He wants to bring free speech back. I am not gonna sit here and pretend that he is a god or a perfect man or any of those things, but he's pretty damn good and he could do whatever he wants in this world and he's chosen to get in the fight, put his money where his mouth is, get into a fight that is so murky and messy and gross and evil and the way the mob comes for you and to fight the woke machine. It's like he could do anything and he chose to do this. So this is pretty awesome. It's whether whether he gets it, or not, it's awesome because it's a signal that we can fight, and you know how I feel about the signal. Uh, Barstool Sports uh, CEO Dave Portnoy, who you guys probably know, he had an interesting Twitter thread on what's going on here that I wanted to show you. He said, so Elon offered $41 billion to buy all of Twitter. Now the board decides if they want to sell it to him. It's a no-brainer offer, and they'd all make a shit ton. The only reason to say no is because they don't like him, right? Do I have that right? And if they say yes, then everybody who owns any Twitter stock basically gets cashed out at $54.20 a share, and it all goes to Elon. That's wild. So maybe it's not that great an offer. Maybe the Twitter board thinks they are smarter than Elon and can get it to $75 a share. But if they don't sell, the stock price is going to crash, I think. Elon has them by the balls. So without getting into too much of the nitty gritty related to stocks and how a guy like Elon Musk just saying he's interested in something, much less purchasing a part of it, much less making an offer for the full freaking thing, how that can change the value of the stock, which is exactly what Portnoy is referencing there. And of course, it's exactly what Elon himself is referencing in the letter. Um, The game is afoot, okay? There is something seriously interesting. Now try to imagine, you're you're a board member Of Twitter. You're one of the people who has to make the decisions around this. You're not just the CEO, but you're a board member. You're an influential shareholder. You are going to make a crazy amount of money on this. Why would you be saying no? Most of these people invest in these things to make money. Now, of course, some people invest in things purely for ideological reasons. And if you were a free speech warrior 10 years ago who invested in Twitter, uh, are you happy with the way Twitter is working out on the free speech front. I mean, maybe it censored a lot of the people you wanted censored. Maybe it killed the Biden laptop story and that got the president you wanted. But are you really happy with how this thing has turned out? Is there any chance that someone is gonna come in and give a better offer? Like This is what every company, every startup, every, every tech venture, this is what they want. like The billionaire to come in and buy the freaking thing and take the headache off their hands. These people all have massive headaches. So we shall see what they do. It seems like a no-brainer. I can't imagine they're gonna get a higher offer. The issue that I think might be going on, and I don't think you're gonna hear that much about this in mainstream media is I suspect that under the hood of Twitter, there is so much dirt. I mean, deep dirt relative to how the Hunter Biden story got killed, how they made the decision to get rid of Donald Trump, how they've decided to at times suspend people like me for saying that vaccine mandates were coming back in July when they obviously were coming and then I was suspended, how they've gotten rid of tons and tons of accounts, always right leaning or conservative leaning, whatever you wanna call it, how they've done all of this stuff. If that is all exposed, if emails are exposed, and especially, look, it doesn't matter, you know, whether they suspend a guy like me or something like that in terms of legal ramifications, but if there are real emails related to connections with governments and how the Trump thing went down and the Hunter Biden, There is a huge amount of problems here. And I think maybe they realize that. Maybe Elon realized he opened a Parandora's box and now he has to go for the full thing. I, I don't know, obviously, but I think there's a lot here. I think it would be pretty damn awesome. Maybe Elon will buy the whole thing and then appoint Trump the CEO. Wouldn't that be something? Bring Trump back on, Trump's the CEO. And then every day Trump does a reality show where he just fires another lefty from Twitter. Hillary, you're fired. Wouldn't that, Jennifer Rubin, you're fired. Stelter, you're fired. I'm not doing a good Trump impression, but you get it, you're fired. What does he do? You're fired like this. Anything's possible, people. I think there's something happening. And if you see it, you can start linking together some of the pieces of the future. So Elon Musk, I'm with you. The people are with you. All right, let's get to the Ruben Report locals, community, Q&A. Christie says, love the new book. I just finished listening to it. Have you guys reached out to Elon Musk for an interview? The Babylon Bee was lucky enough to get one, so hopefully you will too. Okay, so I've never actually directly reached out to Elon. Uh, I think he's probably seen a couple of my tweets because when I've tweeted at him or asked him questions, uh, you know, often things have gotten like 20,000 retweets or crazy numbers, he actually just a few days ago did respond to something that I tweeted relative to what's going on with Twitter and what I think the best course of action would be and all that. So I suspect the guy kinda knows me, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, I would love to sit down with him. I'm not gonna try right now. It's like there's enough going on. He's probably not gonna be looking to do a lot of interviews right now. Uh, But putting aside the Twitter thing, uh, just everything that this guy has done, we don't have that many people that are brave. We don't have that many people that are true innovators that see the world in a different way that can create. I mean, the guy's a creator more than anything else. The Tesla, if you have not been in a Tesla, is an awesome freaking car. Michael, you got a Tesla in the last month or so. How would you say the Tesla is? Amazing spaceship. Amazing spaceship. It's cool, man. And they use, I don't know if they have it anymore. They don't have the crazy button anymore, the ludicrous button, it's gone. So they used to have something on the Tesla called the ludicrous button. That's literally what it was called. And if you press the button, the car would explode like a spaceship. I mean, it was super dangerous. That must be why they got rid of it, uh, but it's just awesome. The Tesla has a whole thing where you can set up whoopee cushions in other people's seats. So you can just be driving and pressing them and then different kinds of the, the extended fart, the short fart, everything in between. I mean, people need this, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so yes, I would like to uh, talk to Elon Musk. Michelle says, why does Bill Maher think all Republicans are racist? What does he think? Uh, What does he think? We are a threat to democracy. I know he's being red pilled, but he really has some archaic thoughts about us. Yeah, I mean, you guys know my thoughts on this. He's at the end. He's at the end of liberalism and he has to make the choice. And then every time he gets close, he then does something that's just so crazy. You're like, man, you you were right there and then you threw yourself right back into the stupidity. So just last week on his show, after getting so close for so long, he went on this rant about how Republicans would be thrilled if there were no black Supreme Court justices. And it's like, that is such nonsense. I assure you, if there were 12 uh, all Clarence Thomas clone Supreme Court justices, like Republicans would be thrilled, obviously. The idea that they still boil it all down to race, or as he said, that there should be a black seat on the Supreme Court, like that's just craziness. And he just has to get over that hump. But I suppose, I, I suppose this is, Something in life, it's like, we all head in a certain direction, you can sort of see the promised land in the distance, but that last moment, whether you're gonna go or whether you're gonna turn back and do all the things that you knew before, that, that's the moment of truth and I, I think he's probably to some degree struggling with that. I think the other thing related to him that's not fully about race but connected to race is that he's so deep on the religious thing and the, and the anti-religious thing that he's pushed for so long. I mean, I saw his documentary, uh, Religious, like the guy hates religion, he, he does not like believers. It's just, it's just how he is. He's mocked religion his whole life. You can think of that what you will. But the fact that the people that now are defending all the things that he purports to believe are the religious, I have no doubt he's having some internal debate there and, and monologue with himself. Like how could this be? How did this happen? Maybe there's a religious story perhaps? Is there a parable? Can someone give me a religious story that might be worthy of sending to Bill Maher that could bring this thing home? Is there a biblical story about the non-believer who ultimately was defended by the believers uh, and that's what gave him his redemption? There's, got, there's gotta be something there, give me something. Uh, Coco says, we have VIP tickets in Denver and we're so excited. Reading the book now, what time do we show up at the Gothic Theater if we have VIP tickets for the meet and greet? The meet and greet is after the show, so show up normal time for the show and then after the show we grab all the VIP people and I'll give a separate little talk for the VIP people, the shake hand and, or the one second hug, the signing of the book, the picture, and then who else knows what's gonna happen? I don't know, maybe we'll do shots together. We'll we'll see what happens, but I'm looking forward to Denver. That's the last show of this leg that we're announcing right now. That's with uh, Brian Callan, it's gonna be a fun one. So I hope that you guys can get out there. Remember, no mask mandates, no vaccine mandates. I don't wanna see your papers. I don't care what your medical conditions are. Come on out if you wanna have a good time DaveRubin.com slash events. Uh, Nathan says, hey Dave, excited to see you and meet you on your tour in Atlanta, the home of Chick-fil-A, where this gay man happens to work. Hot damn. Uh, crazy sounding, I know. I'm curious to know, what is your favorite menu item from there? Are you gonna bring me some Chick-fil-A in Atlanta? The home of Chick-fil-A? That would be something. And a gay man working at Chick-fil-A, you mean they haven't thrown you in the fryer? They're not coming for you? They? I can't believe it. Um, what is my favorite item? I always go for the spicy chicken sandwich. I always go for the, spi- I like the pickles, I like the spicy, I like the, the, the fried chicken, I like the whole thing. But my team does know if we have Chick-fil-A, we pretty much have to shut it down for the afternoon. It, it knocks me out, it, it takes me out. There have been times where we've had Chick-fil-A and you know, I've got something to do, big meeting. We have a lot of meetings around here where we talk about things very seriously. And then suddenly people will be like, "Where's Dave?" And I'm like upstairs on the couch, just unconscious. It's uh, it's a, it's a, it is what it is. But I enjoy the Chick Fil A. I like the Michael. You like all the sauces. Name a couple of sauces. Chick Fil A sauce. You got Polynesian. the Chick Fil A sauce. The what? Polynesian. Polynesian. Zesty the what? Zesty Buffalo. Zesty Buffalo. It's <laughs> not just Buffalo. You got the barbecue. You got your honey mustard. I'm sure. Barbecue. Barbecue. Ketchup. Ketchup. Those are, the main ones. Those, are the, those are the big ones. Very good. Very good. Uh, I'm really taxing you today. Um, Emily says, are you and Dave taking time off once the first baby is born? I think it's so important to have that time to bond, but I really just wanna know how long we will be without the Rubin Report. So the first baby is due in August. So, you know, we're off the grid during August. So hopefully we'll have a couple weeks there. Um, I know what the exact due date is, but it's obviously uh, babies aren't necessarily born on, on the due date. Uh, But we will have some time as a family and we're gonna have family here and his mom and my mom and his sister and my sister will be around. She's pregnant too at the exact same time supposed to give birth the day before. And we, of course, we want all of that time. Uh, David's gonna take some extended time off and and really focus on that. I'm gonna try to do the show the second we get back in September. Um, It'll change my schedule, obviously, a little bit. And from what I understand, my my ability to sleep is gonna be greatly altered. So I'm trying to bank a little sleep right now. Uh, But I don't wanna take... Time off now, the the second baby who is due in October will be a little more difficult relative to schedule and maybe I'll have to take a few days off or a week off. It's obviously very amorphous depending on just a gajillion things, so we shall see. But for the August situation, uh, God willing, I will be back in here uh, right on September 1st or whatever that first Monday is uh, after Labor Day. Uh, Amanda says, what are your thoughts on the Biden administration continuing this grace period for student loan repayment? We should have done more on this and maybe next week, uh, or we're we're touring next week, but when I'm back in studio, we'll do a little more on this. I mean, look, the student loan repayment thing is basically a bribe. That's all that it is. Um, To say to people, you got into debt by your own choice, and now you're upset that you got into that debt and we're gonna take care of you, even though we know we don't have any money and we're spending money we don't have and we're in, you know, deflating the value of money because we keep printing it, so we'll just print more to make it go away. None of it makes any sense, but it's a purely a bribe. And if you listen to the messaging coming out of the Biden administration, they're basically saying it. I mean, AOC's basically saying to Biden right now, this is almost an exact quote, she's like, you're not doing well with young voters, you gotta do the debt thing. Because that she feels that, oh, if you in essence give them money, give them that free pass, they'll vote for you. I don't know that they're going to vote for Biden either way, but but the thing is it's, it's one of those issues that if you think about for more than a second, you realize how faulty it is. First off, to, to pay for someone else's debt, I have I have a mortgage, you're going to pay for my mortgage? I mean, I have car payments, you're going to pay for that? like no one is deserving of having just a mortgage or, or a loan or whatever it might be just taken care of like that. It could be done by the grace of God if your friends or family wanna take care of you, whatever, but not by the government because that's just somebody else's money that they're just moving over to you. But also the idea that you get rid of all student debt, you know that there are kids who come from upper middle class, if not rich families that go to say Syracuse University. How much is Syracuse University a year? I'm gonna guess it's about 70 grand. About 70, let's say it's about 70 grand. 70 grand times four. Well, times two, it's 140 grand. Times two again, that's 280 grand. These are kids that have money, come from means and everything else. Now, you walk out into the real world, you got your degree in uh, lesbian archery and you can't really do anything and you're 280 in grand. Why would the government pay for that back? It it just makes no sense. It's about 70. Are we we accepting that? I'll I'll take that as the number. You guys can Google it yourself. Uh, But it doesn't really make any sense. It's not just, and also you're punishing the people that took care of their debt. That's what you're doing. I remember about five years ago when we finally paid off David's last college loans, he went to Penn State, worked real hard, got great grades, got a good job, life's worked out. And finally we had a little bit of money when we started making money about five years ago and we paid off that last thing. And it was such joy, such joy that we did it. With. Why did we do it? Are we schmucks? Are we, are we pushovers? Like, why, are you gonna pay us back? So I guess not only should we pay off everyone's debt, but everyone who's paid off their debt will pay that off too you know, cause we wanna be fair. We like equity here in the United States of America. Uh, Zionist says, are you and David attending a Passover Seder on Friday night or Saturday night? Yes, we are doing two Seders, of matza. Uh, we're going to Jersey to my aunt and uncle and my folks will be there and cousins and a bunch of other people uh, as, we, as we try to do every year. We got mucked up one year during lockdowns, but there will be horseradish, there will be gefilte fish. We will tell the story of the Hebrews Exodus from Egypt to the promised land, that place where the progressives of today don't want Jews to live, but that is the story. And I love Passover actually, because the story of Passover is the story of freedom. It is the story of a people taking responsibility for their lives and figuring out that you don't have to be ruled by a king and you can fight the power and you can survive and thrive in your own land by your own belief system. And, uh, and I love the family as part of it and, and doing the Seder and that whole thing, if, if you're if, putting aside of whether you're Jewish or not, if you've never been to a Passover Seder, I would highly recommend it. You know, the Passover Seder is also what they think Jesus's last supper was at a Passover Seder in essence. Um, and I would recommend that everyone, I think we got an image for you. Uh, Dennis Prager has the rational Passover Haggadah which it's the number one selling Haggadah, if I'm not mistaken. And I just bought about six of these. I think we bought six or eight of them uh, that I'm gonna give to my family. And I think we're gonna try to use that as the Haggadah this year. Dennis does just an incredible job of explaining big biblical stories while still maintaining some of the rational beliefs that we have and explaining the difference between metaphor and story and and all of these things. And uh, so we will be checking that out and uh, you can get it on Amazon if you'd like to. Emma says, what can be done about wokeness in corporations? The parallel economy has taken a while. Well, look, the Twitter thing is a a big boost in the parallel economy. What's going on with Locals and Rumbles, big boost. But do we need it to speed up? Yeah. Do we need more companies? Yeah. But what can you do? You can cancel a lot of the stuff that you don't like or that you're paying for that is working against you, whether that's Disney Plus or Netflix or whatever it might be. Uh, you can do that, that's a way of doing something. Uh, you can try to buy books, not just on Amazon. I mean, I pushed the Amazon link, but usually I was pushing, uh, almost, actually 99% of the time, I think I was pushing daverubin.com slash book, because there we had all the links. So you could go to mom and pop shops. I always encourage people to, to buy local when possible. Uh, we try to do that ourselves as much as possible. It's not to say we don't use Amazon, obviously we do, uh, but you can do a little more to make sure that the little guy can survive uh, amongst this woke insanity. Wits says, Steven Crowder said they would crowdfund to keep Brian Stelter on CNN. Would you be inclined to join with them? Yes, if that is a real thing. And if it gets to the day that Stelter is going down, 500 bucks, you got it, Crowder. Ruben will throw in $500 to keep potato on the air. I enjoy a baked potato, by the way. You give me a loaded baked potato, I am pretty much as happy as I can get. Sidebar. Eagle says, what's the most daring thing on your bucket list and what are your plans to do it? Well, I would love to do this, uh, you know, you can orbit the Earth thing that I think didn't, uh, who did it? Uh, William Shatner did it. I think a few people have done it now. I guess it has a little something to do with Elon Musk and SpaceX, but you can orbit the Earth. I used to have a lot of anxiety related to flying, actually, and then when I, started touring with Jordan. I knew I was, I was like, I'm going to be in, I don't know, I'm going to take 200 flights in a year or something like that. Um, I just have to get over it. And I remember the first day of the, uh, tour, we were getting on the plane and I said, Dave, it's time to get over this bullshit. And I just killed the fear. I have no fear of flying anymore. It's really weird. I was just able to say to myself, enough is enough. And I don't have that problem anymore. So I, yeah, something in space, send me out to space. Maybe that's all where this is all heading anyway. You know, enough of this. I've done everything I can do on Earth. I've tried. You know, one thing they can't say, but they can't say he didn't give it the old college try to save Earth. I tried. So let's, you know, I'd like to go up to Elysium, live up there with those people, with the, with the food and the wine and that whole thing. Phil, oh, speaking of Elysium, just on a sidebar, if you haven't seen the movie Elysium, it's, um, who's the guy that did it, the director? What's his Neil name? Blumkamp. Neil? Neil Blumkamp. Blumkamp. He also did uh, District 9. And just a few days ago on Sunday, we had nothing to do. We watched Chappie. Uh, These are great sci-fi movies that have really powerful, did you see Chappie? Freaking awesome movie that have powerful messages related to humanity and our struggles and class warfare and all a bunch of stuff. So it's uh, Elysium, well, District 9 was the first one, Elysium and Chappie was the last one. Uh, Phil says, as we know inflation is absolutely killing us right now and it appears to me that the dollar may collapse, where would you put any savings or excess money? I mean, look, the Bitcoin thing, it's real. The crypto thing and the decentralized thing, it's all real. The idea that you can exchange money and you can exchange goods and services without the middleman of the government and without the system that at any point, because of a bad decision by a man with dementia, can devalue the currency. That is very, very cool. And what's nice here in Miami, I mean, this is the hub of it now. It was San Francisco. It's all moved here. Uh, I went to a talk last week where Mayor Suarez... Uh, here in Miami was talking. And you know, he's the one that really, he sent out that tweet, you may remember this, and I did an interview with him where we talk about it. Uh, A guy by the name of Keith Raboy, who works at uh, Peter Thiel's Founders Fund, one of the biggest VC funds over in San Francisco. It was there, now they're here. Um, He had said something about, uh, I've been thinking about moving to Miami. This is like two years ago in the middle of lockdown. And Mayor Suarez sent a tweet to him and said, how can I help? That tweet blew up Keith Raboy then moved here to Miami. And actually the event that I was at was at Keith's house. I mention all of this because it then started a tech revolution here, which is happening in Miami, which is why so many people are coming here and they're voting the right way. And there's such a beautiful thing happening. So I was at this event and Suarez, it was during Bitcoin week last week, and Suarez uh, or the Bitcoin conference last week and Suarez is just, he's so forward thinking on all this stuff, he, he's a good guy. He's trying to get all these companies here. It's why we moved Locals here. Locals is building awesome offices and studios right now as we speak. And, uh, and yeah, so I think getting at least, even though I know a lot of it feels futury and weird and it's like, what's it based on and all that stuff, like get a little bit of Bitcoin, get a little bit of Ethereum, get involved in that a little bit and see what happens. Uh, Chris says, Dave, I believe you said that when you lived in California, you were a registered Democrat. Now as a Floridian, how are you registered, Republican, Democrat, or unaffiliated? Thanks. 100% honestly, I have been so freaking busy that I have not been able to get a driver's license yet. We have the appointment with the DMV. I think it's in like two weeks when I have a little break on the tour. But I assure you, with 100% certitude, I will be registering as a Republican here in the free state of Florida. As I oft say, uh, you don't have to be a Republican, but you cannot be a Democrat, I will be a Republican. It does not mean I will agree with everything on the Republican Party platform or everyone that is a Republican. Okay, fine, we get it. But uh, I want the Republican Party to remain strong here. I think we have a really great Republican Party here, obviously led by DeSantis, but I know so many of the people now um, and I wanna strengthen that. It does not matter if I agree with every little thing. I don't even know that I have great differences on any level at this point with them, uh, but they are here to defend freedom and defend, defend the sovereignty of this state and allow you to live freely. So yes, I will be registering as a Republican. Dave says to Dave, uh, can you tell the story of you and David buying your first gun? That's a lot of Davids. Uh, as someone who grew up with guns, I'm fascinated when disaffected liberals turn pro-Second Amendment and buy guns themselves, or maybe you were always pro-Second Amendment. I'd love to hear your story. No, I really shifted on guns. I mean, that's when I really shifted on. I was never against the Second Amendment. I've always believed that you have the right to defend yourself and to defend your family and all that, but I really, really shifted in the chaos of the lockdowns. Uh, we were at our house, not the last house I lived in. We lived in a different house where the garage was, where the Ruben Report was shot out of when we were doing a lot of in-studio stuff. Uh, and we lived off a main road in Los Angeles, and when the riots, the BLM and Antifa riots were coming, the riots kept going basically by our house. So it's not that the mass crowd was going right in front of our house, but a lot of people walking into the mass crowd were going there. And uh, we did not feel safe, we did not feel safe. I was obviously worried that people knew where I lived, which it's impossible almost to hide where you live, especially in a place like Los Angeles for a series of reasons because of celebrity and just snoops and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and it did not feel safe. There was a, suddenly, out of nowhere, there was suddenly a lot of crime in our neighborhood. Houses were being broken into, and there were just vagrants around. The homeless thing kept increasing, all of that. But with the riots kept, when the riots kept going by, we just started feeling like if something happened, like can we call the police and would they even show up? Because that was also in the midst of defund the police. So we started realizing how much more important it was to have. Uh, the ability to defend ourselves. And then I'll tell you one day, well, actually, before we got the gun, uh, our previous dog, you guys probably remember, Emma had just passed away in February of 2020, right before lockdowns. She was 16, she lived a great life. Um, And we didn't wanna get a dog for a while. Plus my book, my first book was coming out. We wanted a little break. I was gonna be on a book tour. Uh, But then when all hell was breaking loose, you know, there's some statistic. It's something like if you have a dog, even if you have just like a little yipping Pomeranian, your house is uh, like 90% less likely to be broken into because if a robber is casing a house, he's looking at two houses, they look exactly the same, but he knows one has a dog, one doesn't. It's just an extra factor, so they usually don't. So that was another reason that we grabbed Clyde. It was really because the lockdowns were starting and they were gonna kill all these dogs and I literally just ran to the shelter and grabbed him. I tell the story in in the book, Um, but it was also, it would be good to have a dog around, but we realized that wasn't enough too We wanted a gun, so we, uh, how'd we do it? I have a friend who need not be mentioned, but it's a public person who, uh, a former lefty, him or herself, uh, who had a friend who was a gun dealer, and it was, by the way, it was very hard, it's always hard to get guns in California, but then it was crazy hard because everybody wanted guns suddenly. So we went to the gun shop, it was about uh, 45 minutes away or so, And it was jam-packed, but we had somebody that gave us really great service. You know, It took some time because you have to fill out the paperwork, then there's the waiting list and the background checks and all that stuff. We had to get familiar with the guns. Long process, but yes, we have guns and I believe you should be able to defend yourself and your family without question. And I would say I'm as pro-Second Amendment as you possibly could be. Uh, Missy says, what do you think of answering the left's anger over the Florida bill with OK Groomer? Fair or not. Okay, I'm glad you asked this one because I've been asked this on a couple other shows. I have not addressed it on this show. So first off, I have not used the okay groomer phrase once on this show. I have tried very hard to calmly explain to you what Bill HB 1557 is. I have tried to explain to you that it has nothing to do with being gay. You could just as easily call it, don't stay straight, et cetera, et cetera. What uh, what Amy's talking about, sorry, was it Amy? What was her name on that one? What Missy's talking about there uh, is that a lot of people online are just now saying, okay? they're just responding, okay, groomer, to anyone that's for the, the HB 1557. And the implication is somehow that all Democrats are pedophiles or something like that. I chose not to get involved in that. Um, but I get the inclination to fight fire with fire. I really do. Also, I don't know what a better, I, had, I went on Guy Benson's radio show a couple days ago and he asked me about this. It's actually the first time I've addressed it publicly. And he asked me if I thought it was a good phrase to use or not, and I said to him, although I have not used it, if you want to talk to someone else's child that's six years old about sex or gender or sexuality and you want to do that privately and alone and you don't want to inform the parent of that conversation, what would be a better word? Now, I think he, his response was indoctrinator. Um, I don't, I'm not attacking a guy when I say this. Like, I don't know, is indoctrinator less offensive than groomer? And is that more effective in getting the point across? I, I don't know. Um, but in essence, I don't think groomer itself necessarily means pedophile. Like, you're you're just trying to confuse a child for a million different reasons. Why would you want to confuse a child? Is it just because you want to confuse them about sex? Or is it what you want to confuse them about the nature of the world and who they can be... Uh, Who should be responsible for them, and who they should trust, and all of those things. And then once you've broken that in an innocent six-year-old, what else could you get them to believe? Like I think that means has more to do with it than than so specifically just the sex thing. Um, So if you want to say it to those people, it's fine. I I think their intentions are really horrible. I really do. There's just no need for any of this. They lie about everything. So okay, if you want to fight back in a way that you might not be 100% cool with all the time, like. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, Amy says, with the book tour starting next week, inquiring minds need to know how do you prepare for a show and do you have a ritual? Um, you know, not really. I kind of, I get to the, well, they've, I'll tell you this. You get a little rider when you, when you sign a contract for a tour where they say, well, what do you want at each venue?" I ask for unsweetened iced coffee and a couple of bottles of water. That's it. I don't want food. I don't want booze. I don't want anything else. I try to have a very, the shows are mostly at eight o'clock so I'll probably have a very light meal at about five o'clock, uh, no drinking or anything like that. Uh, get there, I do like a little bit of the caffeine right before I go on stage. And you know, I, I usually try, and this is what I was doing with Jordan or whenever I've done stand-up or when I speak at uh, college events or whatever. For about two minutes before, I try to just get my thoughts in order. You know, I'll think about, all right, what have I been thinking about all day long? And I kind of do it like that. I kind of close my eyes for i I'm like, what have I been thinking about? What, what's been sort of rattling in the back of my head? Not just all the stuff that I'm doing all day, but what else is there and what do I, how do I wanna organize that? And then I try to sort of roughly write something in my head where I'm like, okay, so I know I wanna say this first. I wanna get a big laugh when I walk out on stage, usually something different every night. Then I wanna link it to this. I wanna make you know this comment about Biden and then let's go from there. But I, I really don't have an end point necessarily. You know it's funny when when Jordan, and I'm sure many of you came to the Jordan shows, I would always make fun of him, not uh, not in, in the nicest possible way at the end of the show because Jordan would give this unbelievable, hour-long talk, different every night. I'd watch him stretch the limits of his intellect and the whole thing. But because he didn't prepare them in such a way that they were they were fully scripted, he would often end by saying something like, and you know, da 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 da. And that's all I've got to say about that. Good night. And I always thought it was a funny way of ending it because it was sort of like Forrest Gump. Remember the ending of Forrest Gump? And that's all I've got to say about that. Like you say this amazing story, you tell these incredible thoughts and all of this stuff, you link all of this incredible stuff together. And then the ending feels almost anticlimactic. There was something sort of nice about it. So I will try to end with a big laugh, but some nights it will be, it's just gonna be different every night. That, That really is it. So I guess my ritual is not over-preparing. Uh, in closing, ladies, gentlemen, and other assorted people, I'm not a biologist, I'm going on tour on Tuesday. If you have not bought tickets, buy the freaking tickets now, would you? DaveRubin.com slash events. We kick it off in West Palm Beach on Tuesday night. And then we're in Clearwater, which is the Tampa area here in Florida. And then we're bouncing around North Carolina, Georgia, Chicago. We're going to Dallas, oh, we're going to New York, we're going to Cali, all the usual stops. You will have fun, I promise you. I think there's some VIP tickets left. And if there aren't, we'll figure out a way to make it work once you're there. Just just get, uh, get on board. I promise you're gonna have a good time. Uh, if you wanna play along during the live chat, during the shows, rubenport.locals.com. Part three of my interview of Michael Knowles interviewing me is up right now on YouTube and Rumble, and the full thing's up already on Locals, and my interview with David Janet, the uh, better half around here, the other David, uh, is up on Locals at rubenport.locals.com. That's all I have to say about that. Have a great weekend, and hopefully I'll see a whole bunch of you next week. Bye.